and leading us in worship. And then I want to give special thanks to Adrian back there who revived that, uh, that technology or that, that technical aspect and got us where, do we, where we need to be at this point. That's, uh, you know, a special gift, a special knowledge that uh, tech people have, and I'm not even in that world. So I'm just real thankful for those who know how to do that. Well, let's pray before we go, get into our message. Father, we thank you for just helping us, for being there for us, for encouraging our hearts, for giving us your word, for helping us through this life. And Lord, we pray that we would continue to lean upon you to love you more and more, to learn your scriptures, to learn your being, your, your personality, your, uh, who, who you are, fuller and fuller, and to share that with others, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. What to say when someone dies? You know, that's always a question you have. Before we get into that, I just want to say that, you know, two weeks ago we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, which brings great hope to all the world. Finally, someone has conquered death. And then last week we heard that some in the first uh, century Corinthian church were saying that there is no resurrection from the dead. They had just picked that up from their culture, and you know... Many people think that, of course. And so when the Apostle Paul caught word of people in the church saying that there is no such thing as resurrection from the dead, he about blew a gasket. He basically said, every hope you have for eternal life rests on the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And if Jesus did not rise from the dead, we are still lost in our sins and we have absolutely no hope past this life. It's all over. And then he said, But we know that Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. We know that he died and he was buried. The burial proved his death. And that he rose again according to the scriptures. And he was seen alive by hundreds of witnesses. And Paul says, Most of whom are still uh, alive today. Now, what I have noticed in our day <clears throat> is that when a loved one dies, people will often sound like, they'll say words that sound like they're trying to keep the loved one with them in some way, maybe some spiritual connection, some kind of presence. They want that loved one to be there because... They feel that it's more comforting. Even though this loved one has moved on completely out of this life, in some way, they want their presence there, even like for their kids or whatever. And I, I kind of think it leans into that circle of life concept that uh, we saw in The Lion King. And, you know, of course, a lot of people 
have that concept. Another statement I've heard often, you know, when we're talking about somebody passing away, is they'll say, well, he's in a better place now. And they're just trying to bring words of comfort. And then there's this thought that's become kind of popular. Well, God decided he needed another angel. As if, you know, people turn into angels when they die. But of course, people are searching for comfort at time of a death. For themselves and for their loved ones. Maybe for their children. Maybe for a widow. But really, they're often talking about something that they just know nothing about. And just trying to pump up some encouragement. But now, I want you to imagine this. What if you or I were talking to someone about a believer passing away that we were very confident that this person had trusted Christ, had lived for Christ, and had died in Christ? And we were talking to someone about this person passing away, and that person would say, some, some of those statements like, well, he's in a better place. Uh, maybe God needed another angel. And what if you were to say to that person, well, to tell you the truth, I fully expect that one day Sam will rise up from the grave with a whole new body, fully functioning, totally healed, a physical body designed to last for all eternity. We think someone would say to that. They'd probably back up a few steps first. And they'd say, are you serious? You honestly think that? And you might say, well, I don't mean like today, but at the last trumpet, I'm sure he will. This morning we're going to look at Paul's answer to someone as he's writing to the Corinthians about the resurrection. He, he brings in this skeptic. That's what they would do. That's kind of how they wrote in those days. If they want to answer an argument, they'll bring in a, a so-called skeptic or you know, just the idea of someone coming in and challenging what they're teaching. And as Paul you know, answers the question of this this so-called skeptic, it might surprise us just how physical and utterly earthly the Bible describes the resurrection from the dead. We may think of it as something just kind of mystical. And of course, there is supernatural to it. But it, it might surprise us to find out how earthly it is and how logical it is according to what we've already seen in the world. So look with me, if you will, at verses 35 through 38 on 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 35. And Paul is going to be answering a question. He says in verse 35... But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? 
And Paul answers that question. How foolish. What you sow, you know, what you put into the ground, does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be. You don't put the, the stalk of corn in the ground. But just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed that, that's sown, he gives its own body. Now think of that. Think of how similar it is when a seed is planted in the ground to the death and resurrection of a, peop of a person. You know... A body going into the ground and rising is just like what you see with a seed going into the ground and bringing up a plant. And it makes good sense, actually, because it's the same creator that's designed both of those, humans and the plant world. The seed is buried into the ground and dies, so to speak. It germinates. It disintegrates in the ground, right? Before it comes to life, if it doesn't do that, it doesn't come to life. And what you sow into the ground, those seeds, it's not the same as what comes up from the ground. You don't put the, you know, the plant into the ground, you put the seed into the ground. And that which seed determines what kind of plant comes up. And God, the creator, decides which seeds turns into what kind of plants. And to each seed, he gives a certain type of body, whether it's corn or wheat or rye. So when we're talking about the resurrection, we are actually talking about something that we see all around us all the time in our world, in the plant world. And we're talking about both plants and humans who have been design, designed by the creator, the same creator. Now remember the original question or challenge that the skeptic asks. He says, well... What kind of a body will they come up with? You know, you go in the ground, you disintegrate. So, what kind of body are you going to come up with? And remember, Paul said in verse 38, But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. And so now listen to verses 39 through 41 as it continues. And he uses flesh and body, you know, as similar terms, as terms for each other, interchangeable. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another. Birds another, and fish another. So he's saying there's animals and there's people, and God gives them different bodies, different types of flesh. And then he goes to the animal world, and he says in the animal world you have birds and fish, and each one has its own kind of body or flesh. Then, he expands it more, there are also heavenly bodies, sun, moon, stars, and so on, planets, and there are earthly bodies, mountains and rivers and, and ravines and everything. But the splendor, the majesty of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor or majesty of the earthly bodies, you know, mountains, is another. So, 
God is creating all these different bodies. And bodies differ from bodies. And splendor differs from splendor, even among the same group. And he goes up into the sky now. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. The star differs from star in splendor. So within the heavens, you have these different bodies, and these bodies give off a different splendor. And even in the same, like in the stars, you have some stars more splendorous, more, more majestic than other stars in a sense. So, God's creation is so brilliant and so his creation just goes beyond our imagination. And he's answering the skeptic's question that seems to be from the attitude of, right, people are going to rise from the dead in new bodies. What kind of bodies are you dreaming about? If you ask somebody today, if they thought about people rising from the dead, they'd probably think of zombies walking around half dead, drooling and moaning. That's kind of the picture people have today. And if somebody would ask Paul, is that what you're thinking of, Paul? He would say, well, not quite. And so look at verses 42 through 44. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, means it disintegrates. You know, we, we get older and our bodies just start wearing out. But it is raised imperishable. In the resurrection, bodies will not disintegrate. They will not grow old and wear out. It is sown in dishonor. That would have to do with sin-wrecked people. We're all sinful, but it is raised in glory, no longer any sin. It is sown in weakness, we get diseases, you know, we kind of fall apart, but it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, and it is raised a spiritual body. Natural is earthly. Spiritual refers to heavenly. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Spiritual doesn't mean no flesh, but it's, it's other than earthly. It's heavenly. You see, we are not talking about just living again. We are talking about really living. Really living for the first time. What would have been if sin hadn't entered the world? And even better than that, living for eternity. We're talking about going from bodies that are weak and diseased, aging, hurting, susceptible to all kinds of viruses and everything, sin-wrecked, to bodies that will be designed by God for eternity. Imperishable, glorified, powerful bodies. He says spiritual, but you think of Jesus Christ when he rose from the dead and he encountered his disciples all gathered in a room and they were looking at him and thinking he was a ghost and he says, here, touch me. A ghost doesn't have flesh and, and bones. Give me something to eat. And he ate it. 
When he says in verse 44, it is sown a natural body and raised a spiritual body, he's actually showing a pattern that we see all the time around us. Because the resurrection from the dead fits right in with God's recognizable pattern that we live with all the time. So it's just not this something that's just like totally unrelated to anything we know. It fits right in with God's creation. So now look at verses 44 through 49. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body like Jesus. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. That's the pattern. First comes the natural, earthly. Then comes the spiritual, heavenly. So it is written. And here he's going to explain that. The first man, Adam, became a living being. But the last man... The last Adam, Jesus, a life-giving spirit. That's that's on a whole other level. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. Adam came first, then Jesus. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. Adam and Jesus again. And as was the earthly man... So are those who are of the earth. We are born as children of Adam. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And if we're born of Christ, that's who we'll be like. We will be people who are in Christ. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. You see, anyone... Who will turn to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, trusting in God that that is his way of salvation. Anyone who will claim Christ and live into their faith, we will ultimately escape the corruption of the world. And we will take part in the resurrection from the dead with glorified bodies designed for the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. Never die. And it isn't just magic dust being thrown on us as we close our eyes and tap our heels together. It's the eternal creator's brilliant plan to rescue anyone who will turn to him in repentance, seeking forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And it's not like a fairy tale where you have to suspend all logic and deny all science. That's what people think of Christianity and the resurrection. They think you have just to deny everything you know and any logical principles or any science and just say three times real fast, I hope it's true, I hope it's true, I hope it's true. But the resurrection of the dead comes from the creator himself and follows the patterns of the world that we are involved in when we see every day the world in which he created. We see similar patterns when we look at all the different kinds of bodies in our world, earthly and heavenly. When we see the different kinds of splendor from these types of created bodies. When we see how seeds are buried into the ground and they fall apart, they disintegrate, they germinate. And then they rise up as plants that keep us alive or are beautiful to look at. The resurrection of the dead fits right in with what God does and what we see all the time and what we experience in our world daily. 
Now, the resurrection of the dead does involve the supernatural power of God. But so does everything else that we've been mentioning. I mean, this whole earth and everything, creation involves the supernatural power of God. All of life involves the supernatural power of God. And people work so hard to prove or to convince others that there is no supernatural. This is it. Everything we see is all there is. There's nothing behind it. There's no power beyond us. God does not exist. And they out some reason why they can say that God does not exist. But you know when they do that, they can't even get off of square one with the belief that does, God does not exist. They may, you know, humor themselves by thinking and they come up with reams of research telling you why God doesn't exist. But I've heard those people who have done that and they, they're highly intellectual. <clears throat> and one who is... Uh, really touted as a scientist who goes into all the life and how life is formed and all that kind of stuff. He says, we've got everything figured out. We just get caught when it comes from life, from no life, jumping over to life. Well, that's the whole thing. <laughs> So we've got everything but that life part coming to life. So they try to tell you there's no supernatural. They reject the reality that they're looking at every single day and that they deal with every day and that they live by and totally depend upon. And so you know what that means? That means if we reject God and say there is no God and say that we control everything... That's just hubris, overweening pride, pride that goes way beyond what we're, uh, we legitimately can, can say or think we have. And so it comes down really to human beings humbling ourselves and admitting to what is obvious. Today, people are trying to say things that are so against the obvious because they don't want to bow down to God. And Jesus said, it is the truth that will set you free. And whenever we oppose the truth, I mean, in salvation especially, but even in everything in the world, whenever we oppose the truth, we're fighting against insurmountable odds. And it will always take us to a dead end. And when we reject God and his supernatural power, it's not going to end up good. Now, there's just one more problem that uh, stands in our way concerning this resurrection from the dead. We have said that all who die in Christ will be resurrected to new life, eternal life. And we have seen the proof of that as we look at the scriptures, as we look at the planet that we live upon. We've seen the proof that there is a resurrection the resurrection of the dead. But the problem then is, what about those who haven't died and are still living when Christ returns? They haven't been able to go into the ground 
and disintegrate or be cremated or whatever, but they haven't been able to turn to dust or ashes, what about those standing there in full life as Christ returns? They can't go into the kingdom. Well, look what verses 50 through 57 says. <clears throat> I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable, nor do earthly human beings inherit the eternal kingdom. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. Not every one of us will die. Or not all people on earth will die before Christ comes back. But we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. That twinkling is, is just like the, the time period of a, a glance. It's a quick glance. At, in, that, it's, in that amount of time, Everyone living who are trusting in Christ will be changed at the last trumpet when Christ is coming to reclaim his earth. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed, all who are living at that time. <clears throat> For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. That is the victory right there. When Christ comes back, reclaims the earth, and everybody is transformed. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. Sin is what traps us into the into death, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the final obstacle in dealing with the resurrection of the dead. Every believer who dies before Christ's return is going to be raised with an imperishable body, raised up into immortality. So the only question remaining, what about those living at Christ's return? Because they can't enter into God's eternal kingdom. Now you often hear people say <clears throat> they hope they will be raptured so they don't have to experience death. And that's understandable. But as the Bible says, it's almost like those who don't die have the disadvantage. Because he says those as, as he brings people up, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And those still alive will be changed in an instant. So God has an answer for those believers who have not been sown into the ground. Who have not gone through the process of natural bodies disintegrating. And God is going to do an extra miraculous work of instantaneously transforming natural bodies, earthly bodies into spiritual heavenly bodies, like the body of Jesus when he came out of the tomb. In other words, God has it all covered, doesn't he? He's got it all worked out. It's all going to work. And we can see it happening in our world even. 
So now in light of this amazing revelation from God, showing us this very, very believable process of God's plan of salvation, of God's plan of resurrection, of sinful bodies, here is Paul's closing exhortation to the Corinthians in this matter. He says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Especially those people who are trying to say that God doesn't exist. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Stake your claim in Christ and His promises and let no one move you. No matter how smart they are, no matter how many books they write, no matter how many baskets they can, they can dunk, don't let anyone move you. You know, lately, <clears throat> I've been mentioning popular Christian leaders who have openly rejected their Christian beliefs. And I just learned of another one that I hadn't known about this last week. And he is an adult son of a highly, highly respected, very dedicated pastor, teacher, author, Christian leader that so many people look up to in the Christian faith. And this son, he himself, well, this, this father, he has a humongous following. And this son has a large following himself. And he pretty much stands against everything his father stands for. And as I read a blog of his that just kind of gives what he believes, you could just feel the resentment coming out in it. And the anger and the bratishness, as I call it, coming out in his words, rejecting God, rejecting Christianity. Now, you know, <clears throat> no parent is perfect. I don't know of any parent who claims perfection. But you don't place your eternal future on a grievance or some disappointment, or some disagreement. You don't go and invent a whole new theology outside of the Bible, or salvation message, just because there's something you don't like about somebody who did something to you. You know, we set our hopes and trust on the facts of the gospel message. No matter who says what, or does what, or disappoints, we set our our hopes and trust on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He died according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose on the third day according to the scriptures. And he was seen by hundreds of witnesses alive. And that message, that death and resurrection, has God's handiwork written all the way through it. When you look out at our earth and our plant world, and everything that we, we deal with, everything we live by. It's got God's thumbprint on it, just like everything we deal with. No matter who we may agree or disagree with, no matter who we may hold against. So we must stand firm. We must not let anything 
move us off of the gospel message. Even if some brainiac writes a paper, don't let them move you off the gospel message. No matter what happens in your home, no matter how badly a church or church leader may have acted, we don't stand firm on another flawed human being. We stand firm on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who was seen by hundreds of witnesses who were alive at the time that Paul wrote that. And we stand firm on the love of God that sent his sinless son to die on the cross for the sins of the whole world. And he suffered greatly for that. That's what we stand upon. We stand upon the undeniable love of God that sent his son who died on the cross according to the scriptures and was risen. And Paul ends this saying, always give yourselves fully to the Lord because it's what we do for God that will count for eternity. It's what we do for God that will produce the fruit of righteousness. And when we talk about facing death, God's got this, doesn't he? You just look at the plant world. Look at the heavenlies. It all shows the power, glory, and magnificence of God. And the cross shows us his undeniable love. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for just this undeniable evidence. And we thank you, Lord, that you have just shown us so much and given us so much and proven yourself in so many ways that it's just really someone with bad heart intentions that will reject you. And Lord, we pray that if we meet others who have rejected you, that we could have a part in their lives that could lead them closer to you. And Lord, help us to, to be strong, to stay strong, to stake our claim in you, in your word, in your resurrection, and never be moved from it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.